Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael and G back with you on the pod. Fellas, what is happening? Not a whole lot. Just mid-December. Looking forward to Christmas. Purchased some Christmas presents today for the kids. Are you done with your Christmas shopping? We're not. Yeah. No, we've just started. Okay. Yeah, I think I think one of the best parts about being married is I don't have to think about Christmas shopping very much. <laughs> that is a delegated duty in the, in my household. Mm. <laughs> so, do you act surprised with uh, what your kids open? Uh, or of course, that's what yeah, we got. You I mean, I, I, I'm like aware of what's going <laughs> yes, on, but. We did go a couple of nights. I, last week, we got a, uh, someone to come watch the kids while they were sleeping, and we went out and Ooh, did to purchase a, the the sort of uh, the cornucopia of little gifts, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, I would ask what it is, but I don't want to ruin the surprise, but I'm, I, I love little kids and gifts. Yeah. It's fun. My kids are at the age where, I mean, the little one doesn't know what. Sure. He's just going to put it all in his mouth, no matter what it is. <laughs> yeah, play with the box. <laughs> yeah, play with the box. The older one, too, he's two and a half. He'll probably just play with the wrapping paper, too. But, you know, it's all just like, you know, Hot Wheels and uh, other trucks and dinosaurs and stuff like that. So Nice. Yep. Fun. Yep. Well, fellas, question of the week this week, Christmas-themed round two. Yeah. If you were Santa Claus and you came down the chimney – the busiest night of the year in your <laughs> vocation. Mm-hmm. And you find awaiting you on the coffee table as you dust the suit from your boot. <laughs> what cookies do you hope to see on that table? Wow. Keep in mind, you are a gentleman who goes house to house eating cookie after cookie yeah. all night <laughs> yeah. long. There's a lot to... There's a lot to- put into this equation because there's a, a long-term there's a longevity aspect yeah. to the evening you have to keep in mind what cookie do you hope to see i know what mine would be mm-hmm. because i think in a sea of frosted sugar cookies and gingerbread men etc what i want what i yearn for is the classic snickerdoodle Ooh, dude <laughs> you stealing my cookies? I like I like I cinnamon. This oh man! Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Snickerdoodle is my answer. Ouch! Now I have to get creative. You're going and come s- up with something. Snickerdoodle to the, to there, G. I was, but now I'll do a variation. I think, and I'll do something that I've always been meaning to try. Maybe someday I will. Maybe I'll this year. Up at uh, my brother's place in Flower Mound. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter. Snickerdoodle. Oh, dude, come on. That'd be a heavy night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So make sure I get my protein for the evening. That's right, man. I love some peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Michael, sugar too. for the quick hit. What about you? Uh, I'd like to say sugar cookie because it's Christmas, but if I were coming down the chimney and I was looking at the favorite cookie of mine, it would have to be chocolate chip. Yep. Thin chocolate chip. Classic. Yep. Do you prefer a heavy chip to cookie ratio? No. Or Oh, a lighter really? Lighter chip to cookie ratio. So you're you're more of a cookie and not a chocolate chip fan. I am. Interesting. Yep. That's a great question, by the way. My brother likes the the hmm. cookie sans chocolate chip. Hmm. Interesting. Never like, had it without the chocolate chip. Well, he prefers it like light on chocolate chips, but his favorite part is the cookie part. So yep. my mom would make chocolate chip cookies, but with no chocolate chips oh. for him. Um, so <laughs> nothing better than a good good chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. He's yeah. he's kind of a weird duck in that regard. Well, I'm more of a cookie dough guy. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, okay. maybe that's what we should leave for Santa Claus is just a just cookie dough. A bowl of cookie dough in a in a cooler <laughs> and a spoon. That's right. You can just <laughs> put the cookie dough and the smoker on the sleigh. Yeah. <laughs> get some smoked cookies. Yeah. Well, fellas, continuing this week in our Advent series, this is going to be a little bit different of an episode than we usually do, but I think it'll be fun talking today about our favorite Christmas songs, Christmas hymns. Um, your assignment was to pick out one that you really like. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us why you like it. Um, give you the option to, if you have an honorable mention, to just throw it out there. Uh, and if you have a worst Christmas song, toss that one out there as well. Gee, looking at you first, what's your favorite Christmas song? So this one, uh, not to be... Not to go Casey Kasem on you guys, uh, but this one has been working its way up the charts uh, probably for the last 15 years and is now is now in the upper echelon. So uh, you say favorite, that's a tough one, but this one's up there. Um, it's not one that I was familiar with until I heard it on a, uh, it's either a Mercy Me or Casting Crowns. It's on both their albums. I just can't remember which one I heard first. But when I heard this song, I was like, Man, that's a that's a pretty cool song. So the one I've chosen for this uh, evening's entertainment and edumacation is "I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day." Um, so I, I went ahead and I did I did some research. I went, there's three websites, uh, and for those who are interested, they can go read. I'll put the links in the show notes. Um, and so I've I've kind of melded the three websites together into what I think is a a harmonious uh, recitation of where this carol came from. So you guys feel free to jump in and and I'm not an expert expert, but um, hopefully this will give you a little bit background of where this carol um, came from. Um, So the author of the, of this particular carol, well, it wasn't a carol. Initially it was just a poem uh, by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who is an American poet and educator from 1807 to 1882. Um, on Christmas 1864, uh, Longfellow was inspired to write the poem we know as the Christmas Carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. However, the poem actually began a few years, few years earlier. In 1861, his second wife, Frances, died. His first wife, Mary Potter, died in November of 1835, one month after suffering a miscarriage. Francis, his second wife, had been sealing envelopes with hot wax when a flame caught her clothes on fire. Henry rushed to her aid and tried to smother the flames, but by the time the fire was out, Francis had been burned beyond recovery. She died the next day, and Henry was so badly burned and sick he could not attend her funeral. Francis's death marked a turning point in Longfellow's life. His physical appearance changed dramatically as he began growing his trademark beard to cover the burns that had disfigured his face. Mentally, he sank into depression and at times feared that he would be sent to, a, to an asylum on account of his grief. Winning Francis's affection had taken Longfellow years, and their 18-year marriage was the happiest time of his life. And in the wake of her death, he spent much of, the, of his time translating other works and really less on his own creation. On Christmas Day in the year that she died in 1861, he wrote in his journal, How inexpressibly sad are all holidays. But the dear little girls had their Christmas tree last night. 
and an unseen presence blessed the scene. In 1862, he remarked again at his own sadness, juxtaposed against his daughter's wellness. A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. Last night, the little girls had a pretty Christmas tree. And even 18 years later, he would still be mourning Francis's loss when he wrote the poem, The Cross of Snow, which some of our listeners may be familiar with. In 1863, Longfellow suffered yet another blow. Uh, the poet was a staunch abolitionist, but he, like the entire country, was troubled by the Civil War. His son Charlie, in March of 1863, decided that regardless of his father's wishes, he would join the fight and ran off to Washington to enlist in the uh, 1st Massachusetts Artillery. In June, Charlie came down with fever, probably typhoid or typhomalarial fever. Longfellow went to Washington, brought him back to spend the summer on leave at the family college in Massachusetts. In November, Charlie had recovered, but at New Hope, Virginia, Charlie's unit was engaged in a battle and he was shot. The bullet went through him from his back to his shoulder, just nicking his spine. And again, Longfellow had to travel to Washington to retrieve his son from the hospital. They arrived back at their Cambridge home on December 8th. And a grim Longfellow set about the months-long process of trying to nurse his son back to health. His son would eventually amend and survive, but Henry suffered another profound loss in May of 64, 1864, when his former classmate, fellow writer, and lifelong friend Nathaniel Hawthorne died of an abdominal illness. On Christmas of 1864, following the death of Hawthorne and as a 57-year-old widowed father, widowed father of six children, the oldest of which had been nearly paralyzed as his country fought a war against itself. He wrote a poem seeking to capture the dynamic and dissonance in his own heart and the world he observed around him that Christmas day. And he wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each block a cursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with this sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the earthstones of a continent and made forlorn, forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow's poem, published originally in a magazine, was beset to music in 1872, but the middle stanzas, uh, which are the Civil War-specific stanzas, are often removed. So the end of each stanza obviously repeats the Song of the Angels in Luke 2, 14. Uh, but the main narrative of the text is a person who hears a carillon of bells on Christmas Day proclaiming, proclaiming a message of peace in contrast to the relentless warfare raging in the land. The narrator has a moment of hopeless despair, but the bells respond with a reminder of God's providence and justice.
And I think the thing that appeals to me uh, personally about this song is the that juxtaposition that the poem has and certainly the carol has of um, it's pretty dark, but there's this glimmer of light. And that's what the bells represent is that there's that glimmer of light, that glimmer of hope that, um, I don't know, it, it, for some reason it appeals to me that maybe it's my melancholic <laughs> nature or tendencies, but uh, there's something beautiful about the flicker of light in dark and absolute darkness that that can sometimes be brighter than even a sunrise. Um, just having that little flicker of light to, to kind of bring you, keep you going and say, take the next step, keep, keep going. So, you know, it, in all honesty, that's not a song that I'm familiar with uh, much at all, but I love the story of how the, of how the poem was born out of this man's own, uh, his own despair in his own life and him observing the despair in his country going on at that time. Um, and what I, what I like about the lyrics of it that you just read is that no matter the heartache that he's experiencing or that we might experience in his life, in our own lives, the symbol of hope in the poem is the bells. And mm-hmm. it's something that happens no matter what he's going through. All the Christmases after his wife died and his son's injured, he hears the bells on Christmas. And it's something that continues to happen regardless of his own circumstance. And it's something that's objective. It's outside of mm-hmm. himself. And I think when when we sit in the Advent season and it, for a time, we sort of sit in darkness and we feel the weight of sin in our lives and in this world, but yet we recognize that just as he heard the bells on Christmas Day, we know that the Savior is born. And so there's a, there's a hope for us that sits outside of ourselves in the same way that those bells were sort of an objective mm-hmm. symbol of that hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something that was uh, just bringing them, bringing them back. Um, I didn't do extensive research, but there was enough uh, for me to read that it, it sounds like he was uh, a man of Christian faith, mm-hmm. or at least very familiar with the Christian faith, um, which would not have been uncommon at that point in time in the country for the, the general population to be steeped in, in the Christian faith. Yeah, there there was enough of him to. Enough of that to where he was writing some beautiful poetry and, and good theology. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Thanks, G. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Michael, what about you? Favorite Christmas song, Christmas hymn? Favorite Christmas hymn that we sing um, at Trinity Grace. And my favorite Christmas hymn that I look forward to uh, during this time of year is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And... Um, the hymn has its origins uh, in monastic life in the 8th and ninth century. From what I understand, it actually was a Gregorian chant um, that would take place uh, 12 days before Christmas during uh, evening Vesper service as the monks were uh, coming in and out of that service. And later on in uh, the 12th century, it was translated into Latin and... Uh, was lost in some ways to time until it was rediscovered and translated from the Latin to the English in 1861 by uh, an Anglican priest named John Mason Neal. 
And so from 1861 till today, um, I guess you could say the church has been singing uh, this song um, in the English language. And um, it's just a beautiful song. Uh, I love it because uh, there's a tension about it between darkness and hope that's pretty beautiful and reflects the um, thrust of the Advent season that we're trying to appreciate. And it, it, it's also um, a hymn that is rich in theology and biblical themes and motifs. And so if I were encouraging someone um, as they sung this hymn next, I'd encourage them by uh, asking them to just look at all of the Old Testament imagery that they see uh, throughout the hymn. Um, And it's important to place yourself in the shoes of the Old Testament people of God because they were the ones that originally were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of their Savior, uh, Emmanuel. And obviously, we live on the other side of his first coming, but it is neat when you sing this song to think about how those people in darkness might have longed for the light to dawn upon them. And obviously, now we look forward to the second coming of Christ, and we can sing that this song uh, with eyes towards that second coming as well. But um, if you if you look at the the hymn itself, um, you've got I mean the first line, "O come, O come, Emmanuel," and obviously that's a reference to Isaiah chapter seven fourteen, um, and then Matthew chapter one verse twenty three uh, says, "You shall call his name Emmanuel, um, God with us." And um, Jesus is is the long-promised Savior that Isaiah foresaw. Um, you've got uh, references to Mount Sinai and uh, the tribes there before uh, the mountain um, where God gave the law. Um, you have in the third verse or the third stanza uh, a reference to the rod of Jesse, uh, which harkens back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Um, talks about the the promised coming Savior coming uh, out of a stump or being a root of Jesse um, and uh, from the lineage of David, uh, the great king. Um, and, you know, I, I, it, it's just, it's a hymn that, that takes seriously uh, the sin that we experience. Um, it's not a jolly hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely, like I said, plays on the darkness that we experience while looking uh, to the future with hope. And um, the other thing I love about this hymn, last thing I'll say is um, I love the music. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something beautiful about the music paired with the lyrics um, that uh, it feels almost like a Gregorian chant when yeah. you sing it. It, um, it it's feels haunting. old. Yes, it's yes, it's perfect. haunting. It's old. Um, there's something. Uh, uh, it's a. It's there's a melancholy feel to this song that just fits the Advent season uh, in my mind. Yeah. Thank, I, so I had read one time that uh, that hymn is the oldest uh, Christian hymn in general that we still sing today. Hmm. Which I think I. I mean, sounds about right. Seventh or eighth century, I guess. You said yeah. it was translated into Latin. What was it translated out of? I'm not sure. Um, I would imagine that I, I got. I would imagine it would have had to have been Latin, um, or maybe. Wait, it was, but you said it was translated into Latin. Yes, in the 12th century, I guess that's that's uh, when when it was translated into Latin. 
I don't know what language it would have been before then, huh. uh, Gregorian monks uh, or monastery life, I would imagine they're, they're speaking Latin, but it could have been, um, I think that the, the little research I did talked about French monasteries. Okay. Um, and so um, I'm not sure what language it would have been before then. One of those funny... But it was basically found, from yeah. what I understand, by this Anglican priest in the 1800s, and he basically dusted dusted it off yeah. and translated it from Latin into the English. I love those hymns that have to be translated into English. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think it uh, the language thing there somehow, somehow uh, connects the church through centuries and through different peoples and languages, like... Uh, be thou my vision is is my mm-hmm. favorite hymn, like top of my charts, number one. And I think I might be getting the details wrong. I think that hymn was translated into English from Gaelic. Yeah, an old Irish or Scottish yeah. tune. It's also hauntingly beautiful. Music. It is. Yeah. Uh yeah. That's uh when we had kids and Brittany told me I had to sing them a lullaby. I didn't know any, and that's the only kind of sad, oh, slow song yeah. that I could sing. And so that's what that's what I sing to the kids when I when I put them to sleep. Hmm. But uh I I like that you know songs like that that have that have an ancientness to them I guess I get I don't know I guess you wouldn't call that ancient but just an oldness mm-hmm. and a cross linguistic sort of thing I really think are cool and yep. that's I I also like O Come O Come Emmanuel it's great um, we sang it last week at church we also sang all of the other O songs <laughs> yes there's a lot of O songs. <laughs> During the Advent Christmas, we just season. go we just go alphabetical order, and we just <laughs> we hit the O's and, and throw them in there. So. It's funny. Uh, sometimes we'll be singing uh, songs that start with Jesus too, and I know so we're singing the Jesus songs this week. <laughs> and after the service this Sunday, somebody came up to me. They have a young child, and he keeps a tally during the sermon of how many times I mentioned God, Jesus, sin, and a few other words. Wow. And it was pretty encouraging. I said Jesus a whole yes. lot this past Sunday. And uh, I told him that was awesome because you want to hear a lot of those words, Jesus, God, blood, sin. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an encouraging, positive sign. Man, if you ever have an off week, you're going to hear about it. Amen. Hey, I didn't hear enough Jesus. I'd, I'd love to hear that, actually. If, I, if you didn't hear enough Jesus, let me know. Yeah. Man. Definitely love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, Got to hear from you now, Yeah, Jacob. the one that I'm going with, my favorite Christmas hymn. Now, okay, this one admittedly is, it's a little niche, I guess. It's not near Christmas top 40 usually. Um, the song is Angels from the Realms of Glory. Mm. And I, oh, yeah. yeah, so love I picked it. this yeah. one for no other reason than when we sing it, I'm whistling it for three days. Like it's just super catchy. And so I guess that has more to do with, the tune than than the song itself, um, but I did a little bit of digging into uh, in, into the history of the hymn and and looking at the lyrics a little bit more closely. And I think there's some interesting stuff here. So the the hymn was written by a guy named James Montgomery, and and I don't know many other hymns that we sing from him. Hmm. Um, so th- I, this is probably his most popular one that we continue to sing today. And it was printed and published. On Christmas Eve in 1816, in a local newspaper in England called the Sheffield Iris, um, the guy who wrote hymns, he would publish poems and other things uh, in in this particular newspaper, which was known for some uh, radical political thought, which is kind of just an interesting piece of, of trivia there. Um, 
but the song commonly, most commonly has three stanzas that you see kind of everywhere. And then there's like a fourth and fifth that you sometimes see. And then a couple of other ones that I think were later additions. Um, but what I really like about this hymn, besides the fact that it's super catchy, is um, as you go through the stanzas, it's sort of, you know, the refrain of this song is come and worship, come and worship, come and worship Christ, the newborn king. And it's sort of commanding these different – the way that I see it, it, it's commanding these different stations of people and stations of being to come and worship Christ. So the first stanza is, angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight over all the earth. Ye who sang creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth. So here it is, the eternal beings, um, sort of a – maybe we can categorize these as the, the supernatural part of the song are commanded to come and worship Christ. Ye who sang creation's story. So the the beings who were there to witness God's creative acts are now proclaiming the birth of the Messiah. The second stanza is, Shepherds in your fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. And here you have a station of person who is poor and destitute and margins of society, dirty, unwashed, and yet they're commanded to come and worship Christ, the newborn king. The third stanza, stanza refers to the, the wise men, the, man, the magi. He calls them sages here. It says, sages, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. Ye have seen his natal star. So we go from the poor, the shepherds, to now the elite, the sages. I think a lot of us in, in our own context could probably relate to this stanza a lot as well because we... Uh, we're generally a kind of white collar area and um, we're by and large college educated uh, group. Um, And and so when we read this sages, leave your contemplations. So all the things that we spend our time thinking about pondering that are too great for us, sometimes leave your contemplations. Why? Because brighter visions beam afar. And the thing that, that these sages are, commanded to come and worship Christ, the newborn King is called the desire of nations. Mm. Um, the fourth verse, which you see not as often as the other three, but still uh, plenty often it's in, I think it's in the version that we sing at Trinity grace says saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. So now we've gone from the eternal, the angels to the poor shepherds, to the elite sages to now saints. So it's a little bit maybe um, on the other side of the cross, we might say. And it's the saints in heaven um, worshiping God, still commanded to come and worship Christ, the newborn king. Now, what's really interesting here is there's a there's a fifth verse, which what in, in the little bit of research that I did is often left out of a lot of hymnals. The editors omit this because the reasons that were given in some of the things that I read uh, were, were that it, it's gloomy or it feels dour as a dour way to end what is otherwise a joyous hymn. Uh, and I could not disagree with that more. I think this is actually a great verse to end on a hymn. Um, I wish more versions of the song would include include this. I don't know that I've actually ever sung it, but if, mm. reading the words, I really like it. It says, Sinners, wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes the sentence. Mercy calls you, break your chains. And I love that verse. And I guess the gloom there is in that second sentence, 
doomed for guilt to endless pains. And yes, I suppose that's dire, but it ends in a joyous command. Mercy calls you, break your chains. And I think that's such a great picture of the gospel that you get in that, in that stanza here. There's other, uh, verses too that you see in some versions, um, and not in others that I think are later editions. Um, still very good, but those five are, I think, kind of the, the core ones there. Mm. So that fifth verse was written by the original author. Yes. Yes. I, I believe yeah. so. I, sure. I could be a little bit wrong on that. No. Um, but yeah, I think that I love fifth it. verse was in there. So um, theologically rich. Yeah. I just like how this how this hymn goes from the supernatural and then it it immediately grounds itself in the poor shepherds and then it starts to elevate again the elite sages so like all people from the poorest of shepherds to the most elite called to come and worship Christ the newborn king um the saints of god who have gone before us um still commanded to come and worship Christ the newborn king and then for us the sinners wrung with true repentance doomed for guilt to endless pains justice now revokes the sentence that's such a great line the justice that god delivers to us happens in such a way that it revokes our sentence because the justice that we deserved is poured out on christ mm-hmm. justice now revokes the sentence mercy calls you break your chains any hymn that has there's another one we sing that juxtaposes uh, justice and mercy, and I'm forgetting what it's called, and I can't even remember the line. But I love when those two things are paired right next to each other like mm-hmm. that because it's such a great picture of the cross. Yep. So that's mine. Um, do you have any honorable mentions? Just name of the song, one thing about it. Honorable mention. Yeah, I, I, honorable mention for me would be "Oh Holy Night," one of the O's. <sighs> oh, here we go. It wouldn't be a good <laughs> podcast, Jacob, if, if you and I didn't. Uh, lock proverbial horns over something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, hard, I mean, hard it, to sing, but beautiful. Hard to sing. Beautiful. Yes. We sang it this past Sunday. We did. It was hard. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I love that line. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it might be easier to sing than you guys think. Yes, it is. We take, when you take it lower. Carlisle did a good job yep. of it on Sunday. Um, yeah. Yep. I so. love it. Michael, yeah. honorable mention. My Actually, con- G, let's stay here. Worst yep. Christmas Ooh, song. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, Goodness. man. Um, can, 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 I, can I hear some of the favorites and come back around? Sure. I, I, that's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I, yeah. Let me Michael, think about that yeah. one. Honorable mention and worst Christmas song. Honorable mention for me is a newer one. Uh, I love the song, Who Is This? Uh-huh. Who Is This So We Can Helpless? We sing that one year round. We should. Yeah, we Don't do. We? And yeah. but for some reason it got lost a little bit this past year and uh we didn't sing it too much mm-hmm. and busted it out, you know, during the Advent season, I guess, and yeah. maybe we'll we'll keep it going. What do you um, think is the worst Christmas? Well, let's say worst Christmas hymn because there's a lot of really bad Christmas songs. Oh, okay. I was going to I was going to probably Like I want a hippopotamus for Christmas is not the answer. Well, I'm I've got for. a song that I don't like, but it's not it's not a modern song uh-huh. so much. I you know, I've and I this is dangerous because some people are going to love this song, right? And I, I, I've never really enjo- uh, enjoyed, um, what's, is it Little Drummer Boy? Oh, that's a horrible song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Ba-rum-pa-pum-pum. No. I Any song where you have to sing onomatopoeia. It's a little bit cheesy to me. Super cheesy. And I know that some people love it. I actually like the music, but the lyrics I just cringe at. There was also that claymation the little drummer boy claymation movie. Yeah. When I was a kid, that was some you would see that on that. TV. And it's so 
it's so cringeworthy. Like the claymation is so kind of herky jerky a little bit that I just anytime I hear that song, I think of that and it kind of makes my it makes my stomach turn, quite frankly, just because it's kind of sure. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't like claymation, man. It just kind of something about it feels weird. That's why I was never a fan of Sean the Sheep. Uh, but yeah. Um, funny. My honorable mention, Joy to the World. Yeah. I think that's a great song. There's some great lines in there. Um, yeah, love that one. We sang that one last week as well. I enjoy singing it too. It's a fun one to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, worst Christmas hymn, I think, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. Really? really? I just don't like singing that song. And uh, I know we're going to sing it on Christmas yeah. Eve, and that's fun. I'm not going to complain. I like that song. I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's so slow. You're going to sit there with your arms crossed. <laughs> yeah. It's so slow. It takes forever to get through. By the time you're on the third stanza or whatever, you're just like, can we just be done with a song, please? You know, I do have a hymn that, that I – I know that Little Drummer Boy is not a hymn. The hymn that I least appreciate or like to sing is um, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. I like that. The one. last line it just doesn't resolve well. What's they, the last they, line? They left. They left their um, donkeys feeding and went to haste to Bethlehem to see uh, the Son of God and tidings of comfort and joy. And that it's how it ended. Yeah, I just don't like the. It just feels strange talking about how they're leaving their animals and going in tempest, wind, and storm to Bethlehem, and yeah. then the song ends. It's not my favorite. It doesn't end well. It yeah. doesn't end well. Is it's what not I my always favorite think hymn, when we to be sing sure, but I, I like singing it because it's kind of, it's a unique kind of yeah. sound to it a little bit. It's the ending. That yeah. I want it to resolve more. Sure. Gee, did you have a uh, work, 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 worst working Christmas on it? I think yeah. I have one. It's not, I don't dislike it. It's just extraordinarily tough to sing for me. Mm. Um, then I think... Keep talking, guys, amongst yourselves while I make sure I know the name of it. Yeah. So one interesting thing about my favorite, Angels from the Realms of Glory, I've seen this with a couple of hymns. They're usually, as you mentioned, G, written as poems, and then they're put to music later on. And I think the music that they adopt is some, for the most part, like a generic tune, I guess, um, that is just sort of adopted that fits with the meter of the poetry, and it works. Um, but there's other tunes that are sometimes used for the same song. So Angels from the Realms of Glory, the way that we sing it most commonly in the United States is to a tune called uh, Regent Park or Regent Square or something like that. Hmm. And it's the tune you're thinking of when you think of mm-hmm. Angels from the Realms of Glory. But the the second most common way to sing it is that French – it's a French carol. We sing it uh, – we use it when we sing Angels We Have Heard on High. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has that the long Gloria Angels part. That's the one you like. You don't like that. Oh, one? I agree. The Gloria it's not, it's is not hard. I, it's not that I don't like it, it's dude. I love that, that one. It's if I'm not ready for the breath challenge. Oh yeah. Um, it's kind of a. It's one of those that is is a little bit. Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a workout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's if you're not ready and you, you get your breath in the right spot. You're running out of steam. Sure. On those glorious. Man, I, I yeah, like I that like this, song. I like the melody yeah. in the song. It's just a little more, I guess it's, it's my Oh Holy Night. Gotcha. Yeah. So where you guys are like, oh, that one's tough to sing. Gloria, yeah. I, I got to be It's a workout. Focused. Yeah, it's a bit of a workout <laughs> yeah. for me to get my breath right on that. I, <laughs> I like that song a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it'll, it'll but go. that tune is another common tune that you'll hear for Angels from the Realms of Glory. And- 
What's interesting is if you go and try to find a version of Angels from the Realms of Glory on Spotify, it's all that second tune, that that French hmm. one. I can't remember the name of the the, interesting. the carol, but um, yeah, I, I like the the one the way we sing it a little bit better. Angels we have heard on high is a hard one to sing. Everyone knows it, but mm-hmm. in our bulletin we don't actually print the O's. No, the Gloria. Well, we don't print <laughs> the don't actual do the high sheet things. music, right? Is <laughs> oh, that right. what it's called? Where you can actually read yeah. the sheet music, yeah, yeah. and the, music, the notes, music, yeah, notes. the musical notes. We don't print it, and that song actually, the musical notes hardly ever help me because I don't read music, mm-hmm. but I like them to be there during that song. Really? Why? Yeah, because it kind of lets me know how how many time how how long we're supposed to go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, gotcha. So you you know, the, it, you yeah. know the timing in like, our bulletin. It's just a gotcha. dash. Like, yeah. sing for as long as you want. But we all know the song, so we just sing it like we know it. But right, right. Anyway. Yeah, that's a great one. That's cool. That one. Well, fellas, thank you for indulging me in this little this little hymn discussion. I think this was sure. this was fun. Yeah, Christmas was fun. hymns are one that uh, we have Christmas hymns, we have Easter hymns, and these are sort of seasonal ones that we mm-hmm. limit to their time in the calendar. are always just fun to look forward to, and it kind of gets you in the season of things when you start when you start singing them. So mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you. Well, folks, we hope you've appreciated this episode of TGC Midweek. Midweek. If you've got questions about our hymn choices, want to tell us we're wrong or uh, uncultured swine, we welcome that. You can send those questions, <laughs> comments, and criticisms to questions at trinitygracesa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, we'll see you later. <laughs>